purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Focused on Forward. It's another beautiful Friday evening here in West Michigan. Uh, The sun is nice. It's not too hot. And it's a perfect night to have a conversation with someone about how they have chosen to move forward in their life. And fortunately for us, we have just such a person waiting for us in the virtual green room. And I'm excited to bring out uh, Lydia in just a moment here. But of course, before we do that, we need to say thank you to our show sponsor, Vital Signs and Graphics. So please pay attention to the following video. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300. He'll get you noticed. All right. So again, if you're interested in having a logo worked up for you, some type of design, you need shirts, hats, business cards, coffee mugs, banners, signs, whatever it is that you need, Rick can do it for you. Give him a call at Vital Signs and Graphics. The phone number again is 231-652-3300. Okay, guys, it's time for us to bring out the our main attraction, the star of the show. Please welcome Lydia Knorr. Hi, Lydia. Hello, Tim. How are you? I am doing very well. So um, Lydia and I met through a, a Facebook group, um, and I'm, I'm excited to have her on tonight. She's got a, a fabulous backstory of not only what she's had to, to go through in her life, but and of course, the thing that we like to focus on here on Focused on Forward is how people, in fact, do move forward. And Lydia uh, has a very inspiring story for us. And I'm I'm so anxious to have you guys uh, be able to listen to her because not only is is she an awesome speaker, but she's also a TED Talk person. I, you're not? I thought you were. Okay. Wanna she's be. Want to be. She's in the process of becoming a TED Talk. <laughs> Okay, sure. Set me up there. Thanks. There we go. She's in the process. They're going to draft her. You know what's going to happen. After you listen to her tonight, you're going to be like, yep, they're going to get her on a TED Talk. But she is an author, and we're going to talk about that with her book. Uh, So, Lydia, again, thank you for being on the show. And, uh, uh, yeah, whenever you're ready, please include us in your story. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Well, listen, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm going to put my phone on silent because of that, because, you know, those phone, those calls are going to be coming in now, I'm sure. Any second now. <laughs> Any second now. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I do have a story about moving forward and it comes on the heels of um, some really pivotal life moments 
And I'm going to give you sort of the background first and then sure. what happened in my life to push me forward. So, you know, um, pretty normal middle class upbringing, you know, intact family, great parents, two older siblings, uh, university education. I was in the field of nutrition for 25 years as a registered dietitian. And I had some great opportunities within that career, met a lovely man while I was in university, married, had three daughters of our own. Uh, life was going along just great. And somewhere in my mid 40s, I found myself feeling a little restless. You know, I think that happens to a lot of people at, at some point sure. in their lives. You know, what is my bigger purpose here in this lifetime? Right. You know, mm -hmm. created the, the nice family life, the home, uh, got a good job. Husband's got a good job. But there's more than I'm meant to be doing. But it was really starting to nag at me a lot. And and I'd say to my husband, I don't know what it is. I'm Everything's great that we've created, but something on the inside is missing for me. And he'd say to me, just do what makes you happy. I'm like, okay, well, that's a really simple answer, but you know, that's widespread. What does that look like? Do what that's makes you happy. That's a broad stroke, yeah. That's a broad stroke. What does that look like? He'd also follow it up by saying, you know what? Don't spend so much time worrying about it. Just be present, be in the moment, you know, just, just take in mm -hmm. what's going on around you now. Okay, cool. So those, that was the advice he left me with. So, you know, I'm sitting with this and I'm going, okay, push it down. Just forget about it. In the meantime, I'm watching him grow in his own career not envious at all like happy for him but i'm also watching the toll that this is taking on him so he's grown into a job where he's now at a you know senior executive level doing a ton of travel and i'm watching the fatigue set in and i'm i'm seeing the toll the travel's taking on him and we always had this check-in point we'd say are you happy and as long as the answer was yes that's okay but if it's not okay it's not yes then we got to figure out what we need to do to shift that but the answer was yes and the job was requiring him to be away more than he was home. But he said, you know, it's a time, it's a process, it's a couple of years in of, of this kind of work, this kind of schedule, it'll settle down, I promise. So one day I drop him off at the airport, Tim. This is back in 2013. Okay. And he's doing a five day whirlwind trip to China. And I remember my heart was really heavy when I said goodbye because I could see how exhausted he was. And I knew he didn't have the energy for this kind of travel anymore. And I expressed my concern and he said, you know, it's all good. I'll see you in five days. Three days later, my phone rang at three o'clock in the morning and I saw the name of his boss on the caller ID and I bolted out of bed and I knew something bad had happened. I thought a heart attack or maybe a car accident or something, but never did I expect to hear his boss say to me, we don't know what happened, but your husband is dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so you can imagine you know, it's three in the morning and I'm like, what happened? We don't know what happened. We just know that he didn't come down for a meeting. We went up to check on him. He had passed away. So I'm sitting with this news and, you know, my pragmatic side says to me, there's no point in calling anybody at this hour. It's 3 a.m. It's not going to change what's happened. Um, I'm going to tell my children when it's time to wake them up for school. I'm going to call his mother in a few hours. And I'm sitting with this news, but the crazy thing is I'm so aware of what's happened, but at the same time too, I feel this incredible connection to him. I can almost feel this transition that he's going through. And I feel this immense amount of love and gratitude come over me. And I'm, I'm really taken aback by it, but what I'm feeling is just memories coming at me, flooding from all the years that we spent together. We've been married 20 years at this point. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, something bigger is at work in your life here, because how is it that you're just feeling love and connection and gratitude for everything you had with this person when he's, you know, you're not going to see him again. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, that was a moment of, of some sort of awakening for me where I just knew that there was more at work in my life. 
And of course, you know, in the months and weeks that followed, I had a ton of support. My my life was just a whirlwind of, of a revolving door of people coming into my home and supporting myself and my daughters. So I knew that the hard journey would be in the months, you know, the, the future months ahead, you know, when everybody's lives went back to what they had to be. And I really wanted to maintain some sort of a connection to what it was that I was feeling in those early hours. And so I started doing a ton of reading, you know, on what happens when we die and grasping onto things that felt tangible and relatable to me. Sure, sure. And I started spending a ton of time in nature and just getting quiet and seeing, you know, what's coming to me in terms of my own emotions and thoughts and feelings. And I had this really um, epiphanous moment, which is kind of interesting because I always think when we have these big moments, they're really in the small things. And I was out in nature and I think I was watching the water, Tim. And I realized that, you know, for a period of time, I wasn't thinking about everything I'd been through and the grief and the sadness of losing my partner. And I wasn't anxious about what was yet to unfold that the unknown. I realized when I was present that I was completely peaceful. And I went, oh, my God. That's what I've been searching for. I've been searching for inner peace. I've been searching for that, that sure. space, that time yeah. and place and space within me where I'm just completely calm. That was that thing that I was missing all along that I had spoken to my husband you know, years earlier saying something's missing for me. I didn't know what inner peace felt like. And so now I had it and I knew that I had, had an opportunity to take this and share it with people in a bigger way because I'm gonna backtrack again. In my career, yeah, as, a, in, in my career as a dietitian, I had a really diverse, you know, experience in that field. And one of the things, the way I ended my career actually as a dietitian was working in media. So I was representing different brands and working on TV and in radio and in print. And I loved the stage. I loved engaging with people. I loved educating. Mm -hmm. That was a sweet, that was a sweet spot for me in my career. But I knew that I wanted to speak something that felt more authentic. So when I discovered this inner peace and to me, right away, I knew that I needed to take a very important message that was about getting in touch with who you are, doing the inside work, turning inward and getting quiet and getting to know who you are. I knew that was the message I wanted to share from the stage. So okay. I started developing something that was called discovering you and you, I used an acronym from you to actually translate or tease out into your own uniqueness, discover your own uniqueness. Who are you? And when you discover who that is, that'll probably lead you to what you are to, to be doing in your lifetime. For me, having had that taste of working from a stage and loving that, I knew that I still want to be on a stage. But now my message needs to be about encouraging people to turn inward and discover who they are. And it all made sense to me in terms of having a health background. You know, my, my mm -hmm. message for 25 years had been around health and well-being, but now it was about nurturing another part of your, your being, your inner being. Okay. So that became the message that I wanted to share from a stage. And I went out there, you know, through some connections I had, I did some keynote speaking, I delivered workshops. And then a year and a half in to my journey, I get cancer. So I sit back and I'm like, okay, now what is all this about? <laughs> I just went through losing my husband. And now I have cancer. And ironically, my cancer was thyroid cancer. So in the area of the throat. Mm -hmm. And um, there was some risk of me, my vocal cords being compromised in the surgery. And I actually went through two surgeries in the space of one year. So it was nine months, two major surgeries, you know, um, quite an extensive scar. Um, and I knew there was something behind that too. I knew that it meant that I need to go out there and share my message in any way that I can in front of any audience that I can. Um,
And so I did, but the problem was, is that I had this, you know, I think it was almost too fast, everything that happened between losing my husband and having the cancer and knowing that I have this message that I need to go out and share with an audience. And it seemed to make a whole lot of sense, but it was trying to find a way to package it up that um, felt authentic, but that would also resonate, you know, and allow people to say, this is, you know, this is sort of the way you want to live your life. This is how mm-hmm. you're going to live your life in order to, to thrive and to be fulfilled. And so by day, everything was working, going along well for me. But what happened is by nighttime, when the friends weren't there and the kids were gone to bed and I didn't have, you know, the networking and, you know, different opportunities in front of me, things got really quiet. And it all, you know, all that sort of momentum and strength mm-hmm. and resilience that I felt by day just kind of came over me and I needed something more. And I started turning to wine to kind of get through my evenings and my quiet times. I think, I think why I did that too, why I turned to wine is because I'd had this whole grief journey where I felt really supported by a lot of people. And I myself swept the whole cancer piece under the rug because that was my own journey to endure on my own. The grief mm-hmm. journey losing my husband wasn't just me losing my husband. It was my kids losing their father. It was his parents losing him. It was his sister losing him. It was his friends losing him. But the cancer was mine on my own. So I swept it completely under the rug. I just went in, in comparison to what I've been through. This is nothing. This is small potatoes. So we're just going to let this one, you know, slide. Yeah. And I think I also needed to be really strong for the people that were still, and including myself, that were still grieving the loss of my husband. I didn't want to be a victim. I didn't want to be that woman who's just lost somebody and now she's got cancer. Oh my gosh, you know, poor, poor Lydia. I was right. never going to be that person. Victim mentality and me don't go together. So I can see that. <laughs> so I swept that under the rug. And I think that was a really, I did myself a huge disservice. You know, we, we often hear people say, you know, give yourself the empathy, give yourself the time to process things. And this was something that just didn't even factor into my life. I, it's almost comical now when I look back at how little attention I gave to it because many years have now passed. And I realized that it was a big deal. And had I not lost my husband, it would have been a big deal, right. but I didn't, I didn't allow it to be that. Um, so I think that a lot of these things that maybe I didn't navigate very well or give myself the time to process were part of the reason that I turned to something to cope, you know, something to sure. help me cope in the, in the evenings. And I think to take an easy way out, I just decided that, you know what, I need to put all of this talking aside, speaking from the stage, sharing my message. I just need to, I need to sit with everything that's happened and process it. So I took the easy road. I took a corporate job as a dietitian. you know, something came across my desk and I took a corporate job and I sat in that interview, Tim, and I said to myself, can you do this job? Absolutely. Do you want to, do you want to do this job? Absolutely not. But I took it because it was the easy way out. It was getting me out in front of people. It was an easy paycheck, you know, and I didn't have to think about everything else. It was an, another way to kind of just let all of that other stuff that had happened in my life go and mm-hmm. just put my dietitian hat back on and just right. do a job. And so I did something right then and there that didn't serve me. And I knew it wasn't serving me, but I did it anyway. And at the same time, now I'm going to say we're probably four or five years into my husband's passing. I'm dating again. And I enter into a relationship, which again, for all intents and purposes, you know, looked lovely from the outside, but it was not a good fit. And I knew that from the beginning, but I was in it anyway, just because sometimes, you know, there are certain elements of a relationship that do serve certain parts of what you need in that moment in time. Sure. But deep down, I knew that this relationship was not what, you know, was not where I needed to be, was definitely not something that I saw myself in long term, but I stayed in it. And so between the job 
and the relationship, I drank more and I was unhappy. And I felt like the least authentic version of myself that I've ever felt in my life. I was playing small and I was stuck. So about a year or two passed and I said to myself, you know what, enough, you know, you have this gift, you know, that something bigger was working with you in your life to allow you to feel love and gratitude and connection right at that time of passing of your husband, you've done the homework, you've done the research, you've talked to people and people want what you have. They want to be inspired the way you are inspired. So what's holding you back? And the only thing that was holding me back was me, myself and I. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about moving forward, it was, it was this pivotal turning point moment. And I knew again, it was a small thing. It wasn't a big thing. It was just me waking up one day saying, I've had enough of me and I've had enough of making decisions that don't serve me, whether they're professional or personal, they don't belong in my life. They don't align with what I know I'm meant to be doing in this lifetime. And they don't align with the things that I value. I've always valued health and well-being. I have 25 years to, to prove that. I have 25 years of experience right. behind me. My life has always been about fitness and well-being and health. You know, So the drinking did not align with that. My whole reason for being, what I discovered through my journey was that I need to go out there and inspire people to turn inward, to figure out who they really are and live from that place of authenticity. Well, I'm not being authentic right now, am I? So these were the things that were going through my mind that allowed me to say, hey, you know what? Enough. And I knew probably for about two years before I took my last drink, and I haven't had a drink for over a year now, but I knew for probably a good two years that this was going to happen. I knew there wasn't mm -hmm. going to be any catastrophic rock bottom event. It was going to be me waking up one day saying, I've had enough. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what happened. And it really just came down to aligning with the things that I wanted for myself and saying, who are you? And I knew who I was. And this was the one piece that didn't line up. And it was a matter of stepping up from under that cloud and saying, okay, away you go. And so it's been full steam ahead ever since. Excellent. So I have a couple questions for you based on, on your story mm -hmm. that, you know, because you've gone through a few things that, that I've, I've never had to go through. So I, you know, my wife and I have been married for 23 years now. I've never had to, to endure losing a spouse. Um, we also have three children. So my question for you is, now, even though there was the pragmatic side of you that said, I don't need to handle this right now, this second, um, what was that space and time like for you? What was the mental impact for you, really, as you sat there and you were in, taking all this in, even though you felt a love and a connection towards your husband, like you said, a deeper one, an appreciation for him, more than maybe you had felt in a while, but knowing that you had to tell your children, what was what was the mental impact of that for you, the emotional impact? You know, yeah, boy, it's it's uh, it's funny. There's moments that you go back to um, that that you can take yourself back to really quickly and be right there. And those are the really hard ones. Those are the ones I wouldn't say I try and avoid them, but when I do go back, I remember how hard those moments were. And I don't. I, I, we were all a very close family. It's kind of ironic. We had spent a day, the day before he flew out for China, we had spent the day together as a family. This is a really interesting thing. And it's one of those moments where you go, mm, something else at work here. But um, we never had a lot of time, as you know, with three kids, you know, you always got activities going on. Someone's got something going on. There's never a time where the whole family can be together. And we happen right. to have 
the Saturday, he flew out on a Sunday. On that Saturday before, we happened to have a whole day where nobody had anything on their calendars. So we just took the day, we went to a favorite part of our city in Toronto, our favorite part of the, the, the city of Toronto, one of our favorite mm -hmm. spots, you know, spent the day, did some shopping, had lunch out. He and I went to an event that evening and he kept going on and on about what a great day it was and how special it was and how beautiful. And I said, well, yeah, you know, and again, my being mom and whatever. And of course I was with the kids a lot more than he was, as I told you, he traveled. So to me, it was like, whatever, nice. Yeah, but no big deal. <laughs> and he's like, no, you don't get it. It was just so ama amazing. And I thought there was something almost melancholy in him, you know, like something he was very, um, his, his emotions were really heightened around that day. And it was just extra special for him. And I almost feel like there was some sort of a, subconscious awareness of what might be coming. I don't know. Sure. So, you know, but because we had been witness to the fatigue and, and just the energy waning and, and this sort of demeanor of his, that was a shift from who he normally was, because he was usually very quirky and silly and high energy. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that, that we weren't surprised. I mean, we were devastated, sure. but, but honestly, I, I actually recall one of my children saying to me when I gave them the news, she said, I knew something bad was going to happen. I think they just felt something, you know, there was a mm -hmm. shift. They were that connected to his energy um, and who he was in his normal demeanor that we'd all felt a shift. Something was off. So, you know, was it devastating? Yeah. To tell the kids, was it the worst thing I've ever had to tell them? Hell yeah. And I hope I never have to, you yeah, know, that's... give them any kind of news like that again, because how do you tell someone that, you know, I was so grateful that they received it as they did. I was so grateful that his mother received the news as graciously as she did without, you know, she lived in another city two hours away. So, I mean, I couldn't go and be with her, um, you know, so it's, how do you deliver that news? Yeah, that's, and I don't want to say like, oh, I, I've always wondered that, but you know, I, I always, I will say that I have been curious how I if put in that position, how I would respond, how I would be able to deliver that news. I don't think that it's, and, and as often as I have considered that, because, you know, we've, you know, when we've been to friends or family's funerals and things like that, I don't, th I think it's probably one of those positions in life that you're not prepared for until you're in that moment. And even when you're in that moment, you're not prepared for it. I'm going to venture a guess. Absolutely. I, I think my exact words were now that I'm going back to that moment. I went into my daughter's I, I woke up my youngest daughter and two of my other daughters shared a room. And I think they woke up just as I was about to go into the room and said, why, why didn't you wake us up for school? And I said, come sit down, I need to talk to you. And then I just started to cry. And they knew. And I said, I have some really bad news. And they just said and they just lost it. And they said, I knew it. I, I, I knew something bad was going to happen. So oh, wow. okay. they were aware they yeah. Okay. So moving forward from that, you know, I having talked with other people who have, have been uh, a widow or widow or widower, I think that's what they call them, a man who's been widowed, mm -hmm. a, widow. a widower. Um, you know, that just because there is a death doesn't mean that connection to the to the person that you've spent all this time with is is now severed and it's gone or, or anything along those lines. So how what are some of the ways that you keep the memory of your husband alive moving forward? Oh, do you see the smile on my face? I know, I know that your read, your listeners can't see this, but I'm laughing because first of all, like in the early days, we talked about him all the time. We still talk about him. We didn't, we, it wasn't this taboo subject, you know, actually the first thing I said to the girls, Tim, after I gave them the news, 
This is exactly what I said to them. I said, we are still a unit, the five of us. I said, just, just because, just because Papa, they called their, their dad, Papa. I said, just because Papa is transitioning to another place in time, we're still a family. I said, he's on his journey now and we're on a new journey, the four of us together here, but we're still a family. And we talked about him all the time. My kids have a running list. That's why I'm smiling to this day. I mean, he's been gone for eight years because he was very quirky. As I told you, he had all these, his name was Mike and, and people, we called him his Mike isms. He had all these crazy <laughs> things that I don't even know where they came from. They were, he was quirky. Um, that's the best way I can describe him. I love quirky. And, oh, quirky is great. Anyway. And the kids have a running list and they'll pull it out all the time. And the things pop, it's called things Papa used to say, and they'll pull it out and we'll just laugh about it. And we have, you know, the home videos and of course with COVID and everybody weaving in and out of the house over the last two years. And it's been beautiful because I didn't ex ever expect to have all three of my girls home again at one point, but they have frequently been home together. So the home videos come out, lots of laughter. Um, you know, it's good. You know, it's really good. We've kept his memory alive. And the beautiful thing is he was um, a really impactful individual and his friends keep his memories alive. You know, we can talk about things and people share things with me that came up that reminded them. And I think it's great. I, I love hearing the stories. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So let's move a little bit forward in the story more. Mm -hmm. now, now we're at the point of, of dealing with cancer. And yeah. so I understand your logic and reasoning for, you know, I don't want to be the victim and I'm, I'm not going to be that person, but looking back on that what's what's one thing that you wish you would have done differently outside of acknowledging it at a different level i think i would have invited more people in to share what was happening because i kept it very very private the only people who knew were my immediate family my children and my mom and my sisters and that was it okay none of my friends knew. nobody knew until after the fact until after i'd had my surgery and my treatment you know, and then of course, once I had to have a second surgery nine months later, you know, my friends were aware, but um, yeah, I just wish I'd invited more people in because I was so well supported through the grief journey. I remember right. my mom said to me, she said, I've never seen someone with such a network of friends as you have, you are so loved. And so why I chose to keep that in this next situation that I was dealing with uh, private from these friends, I don't know. I think I just, I think maybe I was trying to protect my children I really needed to downplay it for them because they'd already been through enough. And in some way, some strange way, I think I wanted to downplay it for myself too, just so that I could, you know, focus on, on the one journey that we were going through still. Okay. Well, that all makes perfect logic to me. I think if I was in your shoes, I think I may have done something very similar because especially with having three children who just lost their father uh, a year previous, then you going through this, that's, you know, and, and any way you slice it, cancer is a very scary thing. Well, and here's the thing, Tim, too. The reason I feel I was able to downplay it, it wasn't a typical cancer that required surgery and months of treatment. It was a, a cancer, thyroid cancer, most often is fairly contained and it doesn't usually spread. In my case, right. it was it was in all of the lympho, lymph nodes in my neck, which is why I have quite an extensive scar. But um, the treatment is really simple. You know, you take a pill, you're in isolation for a few days and you're good to go and then you're monitored. And I really felt a lot of faith in my physician care, both for my surgeon and my specialist. Okay. I felt a lot of confidence in them. I knew that they would look after me. Um, when the second bit of cancer showed up and I had to go through it again, that's when I started asking a few questions. But again, anything that I needed answers to, I got very 
um, succinctly and I felt very confident in the care that I was being given. Excellent. And so I didn't, I didn't really need to treat it like it was a big deal, you know, because I really felt that this is okay. I, I remember, here's the thing. I've been really fortunate to be able to find the blessings. When you talk about focus on moving forward, how do you do that? Somehow, and maybe it was this initial shock in my life of losing my husband and feeling connected to something and feeling this love and, and knowing that maybe something's bigger at work in my life that's allowing me to see the glasses half full versus half empty. You know, that thing that's allowing me to feel gratitude and find the silver linings in every situation. It was the same thing with the cancer. You know, I thought this could be a lot worse. This could be a very different type of cancer. This could be a diagnosis that doesn't have such a, a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the prognosis was positive and I just said, okay, we just, we're just going to deal with it. And so I just dealt with it. Well, I get that. That Again, I can't fault the logic, um, you know, uh, especially in those situations, because, you know, we're, when, when we're going through uh, any type of mental or emotional trauma, I think sometimes we do try to find the, the easiest, it's the path of least resistance. Yeah. You know, which, what's the way that we're going to be able to handle this in a way that's easy and good for us, uh, which is, again, I think you mentioned it earlier when the job that you took, it was the path of least resistance, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and yet, yeah. and, and yet when you know, in your heart or, or wherever, you know, <laughs> that your gut, that that's deep not down the right feeling. choice for you. Yeah. yeah. That deep down choice for you, that it's, it's not, it's the path of least right. resistance, but it's not the best choice for you. And so right. that's life. I find, I think that the takeaway that I have from all of these experiences is that there are no mistakes. So everything you go through is meant to teach you something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's probably something you might want to touch upon at the end. I know at the end of your interviews, you always have a couple of questions, so we'll come back to it. So I'm not going to say too much, but I do believe that, you know, <laughs> we're, we're always in a position to make a decision, um, whether it's, it's the right one for us or not. It's never really completely the wrong decision because it'll teach us something. Inevitably, we'll learn something from that experience. Okay. So, and it's clear that you have learned some lessons moving forward. Mm -hmm. you, you've learned how to not only uh, find a healthy path for you, but it sounds like through some of the discussions we've had that you've also found ways to uh, help your children have a healthy path through this as well. And you've used those skills to help others now find a healthy path. So let's talk about what you're doing now and how you've transitioned from being a person who's who's going through these issues and these traumas to someone who has moved past them and is moving forward with their life. So let's talk about that. What, what are you doing now? We mentioned it a, mo a few moments ago that you're an author, but there's yeah. some other things attached to that. Yeah. So I'm doing a few things. Um, I am writing for sure. I've, I was a contributing author in a wonderful book, which we can talk about. Um, I'm also doing my own writing right now and I'm not going to, I'm not going to commit to a date, but I hope to have something of my own published, <laughs> let's say in the next six to 12 months or so. Um, ish. Ish. Yeah. Like give we'll, or take. We'll attach an ish to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't use the term coach in terms of, you know, coaching is such a, a loosely used term and I don't have an official designation, but I do have 25 years of coaching as a health professional in my work as a dietitian. Um, and I do have extensive training in uh, communications. So I do run workshops and keynotes um, in the areas of discovering your own uniqueness. And I have some really specific ways in which I do that with people. And my target audience is interesting because I feel when I have these conversations with people, Tim, that my message is applicable to anyone. 
but I really do focus on women who are those women that were in that place in my life before my husband died, who were restless and knowing there was something more they were meant to be doing. I call them the midlife wife. And that is who my target audience is because I know there are so many people out there like me who don't have to go through these pivotal life-changing moments to know that there's more they're meant to be doing with their life. But we find ourselves sometimes just, you know, confined by other people's expectations of us or what societal expectations mm -hmm. are of us. And therefore we don't allow ourselves to grow in the way that we were intended to and to shine our lights the way we're intended to. So I really try and encourage people to live that way to find what it is that resonates with them and go out there and shine their light. A, it's going to make you a healthier, happier individual, and you're going to make an impact on the world if you go out and do something that resonates with you. Okay. So let's talk uh, about, you said you said you had some some points that you like to discuss with 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 everyone. Let's let's talk mm -hmm. about those. Absolutely. So, yeah. so what what is the or maybe not what is the path, but or how do you direct them towards the path that they need to be heading on? I think that the biggest, you know, I have a few ways in which I do it, but the one that seems to resonate the most is encouraging people to align with their personal core set of values. And when I say that it sounds easier than it is because our values shift depending on where we are at in our life. So for example, I always use the example of, again, women, when I'm speaking with women and I'll say, what is the number one thing you value? And they'll all say family and I'll return that by saying, well, family isn't really a value, it's an institution. So what is it about family that you value? Well, I value security and I value nurturing and I value connection and I value all these things that, you know, love and all these things mm -hmm. that fall under that institution. And I, I turn around and I'll say, so do I, always have. But you know what? The priority that I place on that value or the institution of family today looks very different than it might have 10 or 15 years ago when my kids were small. Right? right now they're going off and spreading their wings and finding their way. And my values have shifted. And so it's a constant, just like life changes and things happen, you know, your values will shift as well. You'll always have those core values. We talked earlier about physical fitness, health and wellness have always been my core values. But now that term is broadened for me to incorporate not only physical well-being, but emotional and spiritual well-being as well. That's part of my whole health and wellness value. So I encourage people to really get in touch with that. And I have a whole series of, you know, steps that you would go through in order to find out what it is you value at this point in time in your life. And then you bring it, you know, you bring it down to two or three really core values and you integrate them. We find ways to integrate them into your life every single day so that they become a part of your routine. Just like you get up and you brush your teeth, you integrate whatever it is you value. You find ways to bring that into your life so that you can live from a place that feels really authentic and aligned with who you are. Okay. Excellent. So, and I, I like that idea, uh, you know, because when I think about it with my family, uh, because, you know, people have always asked me, and I say, and I've always said that family is extremely important to me. Uh, my wife, my three children, uh, they mean the world to me. But I, I have to agree with you there that, you know, as we as we grow older, our children grow older. You know, my, my oldest son is often married on his own, you know, now and and uh, my middle son's getting ready to go to college and start a new job. And my my youngest child's getting ready to start high school. My, my needs and my concerns for them now in life are different than when they were all preteens living in my home. And, you know, uh, so, yeah, I, I see the point that you make there about it being an institution, not necessarily a value. And I've never really thought about it that way until tonight. So that's that's actually a really cool thought. And I, and I like that quite a bit because 
there's core values attached to that. Boy, I could go on for that for, for quite a while. I really like that thought though. Yeah, um, I, I think, and I'm glad, I'm glad that you see that because a lot of people would just say family and a lot of, a lot of people don't want to hear you. It's not a contradiction. It's just explaining no. that there's so many things that go into that, that umbrella. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the things that go into what you value about family will shift as well. You're always going to love that. The love piece is never going to shift. Right. But, you know, maybe the, the security or the nurturing will, you know, in terms of nurturing mm -hmm. those people, those little people that you were once responsible, more responsible for. Right. So and that's OK. It's giving yourself permission to say it's OK to actually take a look at me and what do I value? What's important to me? You know, I, I also talked to you about loving the stage and loving the connection to people. So I always had I, I loved connection. But then through my journey, I found myself connected to something that I couldn't see, something that wasn't quite tangible, you know, whatever you want to call it, the universe, mm -hmm. spirit, whatever you want to call it. I felt like I was connected to something more. So connection is still a value, but that's expanded for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's very good. OK, so let's let's hit for a moment. Uh, you you mentioned uh, I mentioned a book. You mentioned that you co-authored it. So let's talk about your book. Mm -hmm. You can hold it up and show folks, too, if you like. All right. So this, this is her book. It's called Ignite Your Inner Spirit. And again, you know, this is one of those synchronicities. I believe in timing. I believe, like I say, everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I had already gone out and done the keynotes. I'd gone back to corporate. I'd been in the unhealthy relationship. I'd been in the unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I'd been in, you know, I'd been through all of that, the ebbs and flows, and decided enough was enough. I'm going to pick up this, this notion of discovering you again and just go out there full steam. And so I thought, how do I do this, right? And I'd had some networking, you know, people that I'd, I'd connected with years earlier. And I thought, just, just pick up the phone, call these people. It's it's COVID, it's quiet, right? Everybody's around. Right. <laughs> so I started reconnecting with people. And again, it's that whole connection, right? And you can't do anything alone. You know this, Tim, right? Anything we do in life, whether it's personally, professionally, you know, you can't do it on your own. So the more good people you know that you can connect yourself to the further you will advance yourself the more you'll learn you know people want to help people that's what i find right? people are really people want, yeah people want to help people so anyway i started networking again and through my network i met a lovely woman jumped on a call and it was one of these things where i debated whether i was going to go on that phone call and i thought ah you know i'll just see what it's all about and lo and behold, there's a woman on this call and I start telling her who I am and my backstory and what it is I want to be doing moving forward. And she said, well, um, I'm involved with the publisher. And she said, I've written a few books with her before. And we're just in the process of getting some writers onto this new book. It's called Ignite Your Inner Spirit. Would you be interested? And I said, would I be interested? I mean, that's my mantra. You know, it's all about that's what that's that has been my journey. That's what let me tell today. you what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a no brainer. And the beauty was for me, too. I always wanted to write. I'll tell you something. I'm not going to tell you the. I'm not going to give you the title of this book. But 10, 15 years ago, long before my husband died, long before anything happened, I remember saying to a colleague of mine, I'm going to write a book one day this is what it's going to be called. And that is the book that I'm writing right now. And it will be published. Um, Excellent. So writing was always something I wanted to do. And because I'd already spoken my story from a stage when I was delivering keynotes, it was so easy to just pull a chapter together to this into this book just to refine it. Um, and it was such a beautiful experience to be aligned with like minded or like spirited people because everybody mm -hmm. in this book has stories about 
some sort of transformation that happened through, you know, through connecting to something bigger than themselves. And I think the best way to describe it, because people don't always know what I'm talking about. I say it's connecting to something bigger than yourself yet inherently within you. It's, 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 it's what is in the deepest, most deep seated part of yourself. It's that part of you that knows yourself better than anything else. But we quiet that part of ourselves down all the time based on other people's expectations or societal norms or whatever we think we're supposed to be or do or think or feel. We always quiet that part of ourselves down. And it's that part of yourself when you get in touch with it and you honor it. There's so much that that is revealed to you through that experience. So yes, I wrote a story called Discovering You, and it really is about my journey. It's how I got to the place I am today, but it's a huge honor to my husband, to my late husband, because that was really the pivotal moment, the life-changing moment for me happened when he died. And I actually say in the story that I really believe his passing was my awakening. That was that missing piece for me. And so again, back to my point about everything happens for a reason. I truly believe that. No, I can see that. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I like the point you made there about about how we, we tend to quiet ourselves down, um, you know, based on uh, the societal norms, the stigmas that are, are placed on thoughts around us. Um, and that can be applied to, to so many things in our, our, our journeys in life. You know, do we go for this job? Well, I can't do that because society, you know, stigma says this, that I can't do that. And it's not even something vocally that we say many times. It's the, it's the quiet part of our brain, yeah. which uh, sadly becomes the loudest part. I was going to say, times. it's not the quiet part of your brain. So here's this wonderful thing that happens with age, Tim. And I'm going to guess that, you know, you probably are aware of it as well, because you said you have grown children. Um, you start to care less about what other people think and about conforming to what the societal expectations are and what the norms are, you start right. to realize that all that really matters is, you know, as long as you're not treading on anybody's toes or, or offending or insulting or hurting anybody, you start to realize that what really matters is what makes you happy. Right. Right. No, I agree with you. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, that's a conversation my wife and I have had uh, several times uh, about different things is like, well, um, it doesn't, you know, whatever they're doing over there doesn't affect the four walls of my home. Right. You know, and what I'm doing inside the four walls of my home shouldn't affect what they're doing over there. Exactly. So, exactly. you know, and I think that's right. I think you do get to a point where that's just, it's it's not about everybody else anymore. It's, if you're in a marriage, it's about you and your your spouse and, and or, you know, you and your partner and what you're doing and, and how you're moving forward. And, you know, and then that's, that becomes your focus. And that's, you know, so. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, and this is a lesson that I try and instill in my children. And again, it goes back to that conversation. What Mike said to me, just do what makes you happy. Right. Um, and that's kind of been our, our family mantra, just do what makes you happy. And, you know, which is why, you know, I have three daughters who are, you know, one lives in the mountains in BC and one's a world traveler and one's, you know, they have their whole lives to work and sure they're, they're doing what makes them happy right now. And I couldn't be happier for them because the thing is when you are living from a place you know, that really honors who you are, your, your well-being, and you're happy, everybody benefits from that. Everybody. Absolutely. Your workplace, your family, your friends, everyone you come into contact with because you vibrate at a higher frequency, you're just happier and you're mm -hmm. healthier and everybody benefits from it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you mentioned this earlier that there's a couple questions I like to ask uh, mm -hmm. towards the end of every uh, every episode. And we have entered that portion of our show here tonight. Okay. So here we go, Lydia. Yeah. All right. So looking back over the entirety of your journey, what's the single greatest lesson you have learned? Does it have to be one? 
You can give two. Okay. Because we already talked about one. It is that everything happens for a reason. I completely believe that there are no mistakes because as long as you can find the lesson in it, the learning and the growth opportunity, then it isn't a mistake. So I believe everything happens for a reason. The other one is, and I've heard this in any of your other interviews, I'm not copying it, I promise, because it is, it was a mantra that my husband lived by is when you, get, when you get knocked down, you get up again. And you do it with a smile on your face because with the right attitude, everything will work out. Yeah. Actually, that's one of my mantras in life, to be yeah. honest with you. I, I, I do. I remember hearing that you say that as well. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there was that song by Chumbawamba, right? You know, I get right. knocked down, I get up again. That was his song, you know? I mean, every sure. time we hear that, that was reminds us of him. But it was, and I think those were more um, in reference to maybe some hard knocks in business and the business life for sure. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, it was like, get take your knocks, you dust yourself off, you learn from it. And you just go out, out the door again, right? One foot in front of the other. There's so many ways that you can kind of talk around the same idea. But yeah, you get knocked down, you get up again and believe that everything happens for a reason and you're going to grow from it. Excellent. So I like both of those points uh, because you talked about finding the learning lesson. So one of the things I've, I've instilled in my children or tried to instill in my children, I should say, is that no matter what happens to you in life, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, find the silver lining. What's the lesson that we can learn from this thing? And so if you're able to do that, it makes moving forward a lot easier because now you're, you're learning how to, to break things down and, and really how to see incoming problems and, op, you know, and opportunities for you. Are you able to, to focus in on them and, and see that, yeah, this is going to be an issue, but there's a silver lining attached to it that's going to help me somewhere down the road. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's everything that my children have gone through. Even my daughter's hospitalization is all right. What's the silver lining here? What are we learning from this? What are we taking from this? And, and then of course, your second point, uh, as I've told my children and probably at nauseum, uh, you know, it doesn't matter that you get knocked down. It matters how you get up. Right. So, you know, that's, those are the important things. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So question two, very mm -hmm. similar to question one, mm -hmm. looking back over the entirety of your journey, Lydia, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've been given? That I've been given. Oh, well, I've, I've said it many times already through the interview it was the advice that my husband gave me. Just do what makes you happy. Okay. You know, and I give it to my kids, but I have one more because I don't Feel do free. it. I, I don't conform. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. And you said it. That's why I want to bring it up. You saw me nodding is um, to me. Gratitude is probably one of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal. And especially when it comes to situations that are difficult. So in other words, finding the silver lining um, where there's darkness. And when you can do that, it gives you perspective. And what it's really doing is it's, it's allowing you to be really present with what's happening in the moment and come from a place of love. You're really expanding your heart when you can look at something and find the good in it, even though it really doesn't look like look at it that way, you know, at face mm -hmm. value. I think that that's a really, that's a really key opportunity to see that you're operating from a place of love and expansion of your heart. Um, so gratitude to me is just one of the most wonderful tools that we can, we can employ in our lives every day in every way. No, I like that. Um, one of my earlier interviews called it uh, um, the gratitude attitude. Mm-hmm. And 
finding you know a way even on, he said it, even on his darkest days when he because his daughter was born premature and you know they were in the NICU for I think three to four months somewhere in there and I'd have to go back and listen to the interview to re remember exactly how long they were there but he said that you know one of the things that they did every single night is even at in the hospital they sat down at him and his wife and and went through what are we grateful for today yeah. You know, even with the, his daughter's health and and she was having some some health issues and there were some challenges. But what are we grateful for today, even though we're in the hospital and we're, we're enduring all these things? And I think that having that attitude of gratitude is a is a massive, massively big deal, because mm -hmm. if, if we can't figure out what we're grateful for, then instead of taking the the, the path that's leading us to the to being focused on for we're now on a squiggly path where we don't know where we're going and it's easy to lose our way yeah so but uh yeah i was just i was looking in my uh, I, I actually say those are i talk about gratitude at the end of my chapter and okay. um you know I, I i just finished off by saying for me finding gratitude in the face of pain connected me to my soul and when I stepped into life with the perspective of my husband, which is just do what makes you happy and enjoy the moment, I stepped into the truest version of who I am. Nice. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So, Lydia, if people are interested in finding out more about you, more about your story and, and things, where can they do that? They can find me on my website at LydiaNor.com. And there you can also find my social media handles to Facebook and Instagram as well. You can buy my book, Ignite Your Inner Spirit on my website. And if you do, I will sign it and send it to you. Um, otherwise, you can buy it on Amazon. Okay, excellent. Very good. All right, guys. So that's Lydia Noor. We've had an awesome conversation with her. I strongly suggest you go to LydiaNoor.com. You check out everything she's got going on there. If you're looking for someone to uh, help you reignite your inner spirit, well, I think that this is the perfect person to help you do so, uh, who's uh, clearly has an idea of herself and who she is and, and, and what makes her tick. And I have a feeling that she can also help you do the same. So, uh, but yeah, check her out at LydiaNor.com and you can find her social media handles there as well. And as a reminder, next week on Focus on Forward, we have the wonderful Anne Fustel coming. And uh, she's an author. And our, our discussion next week is going to be a little bit different than maybe some of the ones that we've had in the past, or even tonight's discussion. Uh, Anne is the author of a book called Our Favorite Movies, How Films Affect Our Mental Health. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about how this is a self-care and therapy option that some people use. And we're going to talk about the science behind it and how this has actually a big impact on our mental health and how we move forward in life. So come back next week, eight o'clock Eastern. We'll see you there and we'll have another discussion waiting for you. All right, guys, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcast FOF, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email Focused on forward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another. <laughs>